You know, I don't know if you know it, but something monumental just happened. We turned the air conditioning on. I mean, that's... Can you believe it? I mean, uh, this winter, maybe it's, maybe it's finally letting loose, I hope. Uh, well, we'll see. Anyway, it's good to have you here this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, Matt, who did our announcements uh, this morning, we were at the Eagle Rock Reservation at 6.30 with some other churches. They had a wonderful service with the uh, Salvation Army Band, and he said he walked out of his apartment this morning in West Orange, which is about a half mile away or so, and he, he heard... <laughs> He heard us singing in the band playing, which is kind of cool, right? I mean, uh, half a mile away. So we woke everybody up in the neighborhood, which is, it's okay. I'm used to it. They, they can get mad at us one, one year, one week of the year. Anyway, we're glad you're here. And this morning we are, we're beginning a new five, uh, five Sunday morning, you know, series on heaven. And uh, the series is entitled, Heaven is for Real. And uh, that is not an original title. Uh, came out of my giant brain. Uh, I shamelessly stole that title from a best-selling book that came out a few years ago, uh, which you may have read. They made it into a movie, I think, last year. I think I saw it. Anyway, uh, it's uh, Heaven is for Real, and then the subtitle of the book was uh, A Little Boy's Astounding Story of His Trip to Heaven and Back. Um, I read the book, and I'm you know, not, not 100% sure about the theology in that story, but I'm sure that uh, you know, because of the books and movies that have come out in recent years, that heaven and angels and spirituality and stuff like that and afterlife and things like that, it's like, it's like a big attraction. It actually sells tickets. Whenever things sell tickets, Hollywood takes notice, right? And so they're going to make the movies. They, somebody said, you know, I think Hollywood is softening up. No, they're not softening up. They, just, they see green. They see green. They're making movies. They'll do that if, you know, if there's, a, if there's a, an audience for that. So um, it's but people are interested in this. And that's why, you know, I find it so interesting when so many people are interested in heaven and, uh, you know, so many people in our country are, are interested in it, that when I, I open my, my books on my, my shelf, you know, systematic theology or biblical theology, and you got like an 800-page book, print that, you know, you got you know, you to look this close to, and there's two pages on heaven. What's that about? Two pages. Is, is heaven, uh, I, I got to come to the conclusion, either heaven is like just really not that significant, it's like bedtime stories of children, it's heaven, you know, this, that, and then, but then we get older and we move on to bigger, better doctrines and things that are really adult, kind of like, you know, is that it? Is, that's why, is that why there's so, such scant attention to the subject of heaven? Um, I find that very, very interesting. You know, C.S. Lewis said this, Lewis said, heaven is that remote music we are born remembering. You see what he said? Heaven is that remote music we are born remembering. You know what he's saying? He's saying heaven is in us. He's saying it's standard equipment. Everybody believes that there's something else. Um, the scripture in Ecclesiastes said, he has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. He has set eternity in the human heart. He said it too, before Lewis said it. It's in there. We believe it. Now, that's not to say that as life goes on, some people unlearn it. They unlearn the standard equipment or, or, or suppress it, I would even say. But still, according to every poll taken, a vast majority of Americans and a vast, vast, vast majority of the rest of the world believes that there is some other life beyond this life. And yet, even for those people... Who, who believe it, even for God's people, you know, folks here, we have nothing a lot of times, and this is the feeling I'm getting, we have nothing but this vague, uninspired, 
even negative view of heaven. I think that's, I think that's true. Some have been taught that heaven is a spirit world. It's, a, it's kind of a non-physical place where ghost-like creatures float around singing hymns from 1820 and then every now and then resting on a cirrus cloud or, or something like that. And then they start all over again, you know, after a short rest. Um, it's a place where desires and dreams and activities and creativity and learning and growth of any kind is, is a thing of the past. That was a thing of earth. Where personal identity, where family, where history are either wiped away or now has become totally meaningless. So it sort of makes sense when you know, people hear about dying and going to heaven and our reaction is, yay, you know. You know, not for a long time, though, please. You know, it just doesn't sound that exciting. Nobody wants to sign up for that. But I don't think we've been taught accurately. A lot of people have said, and they've, they've, you know, I think they've, they've been wrong, but I've heard it from pulpits. Uh, they say that we really can't know a whole lot about heaven because to, you know, to the writer of, of Scripture, heaven was the ultimate land of the unknown. It's a place that nobody knew you know, we really don't, we know it's there, but we don't know much about it. We know it's going to be good. It's going to be good. You're going to want to go there, but we really don't know that much about it. Well, the, the Bible says, seems to kind of give indication of that, doesn't it? Look what it says in, in 1 Corinthians. It says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. All right, so no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Can't even think about it. Well, I guess we can't know about it either. Except for one thing. Except for one thing. People don't finish the verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. See, we can know about truth. We can know about salvation. We can know about God. We can know about his will. We can know about the things that are to come. The Bible says we can. So Paul said, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Seek what things, Paul? Well, we don't know anything about it. Just seek it. Well, I don't, see, I don't get that. I, I need something more. Well, you know what? The good news is there is more. Why would Paul tell us to do that? Why would Paul even say, seek those things which are above? Because he knows that human beings are what one author called hope-shaped creatures. We live according to what we think about the future. How we think about the future is how we live right now. It impacts our, our today. The way you live and think about heaven in the future has a ginormous effect on how you live your life on earth today. How you live your life is in fact controlled by what you believe about your future. You don't even have to be a Christian to know that. I mean, you know, you, you, you can be someone who, who doesn't know God at all. But yet you know that. Take a kid growing up in poverty, and that's all he sees. Well, that's not all he sees. He, he has television. He has, you know, social media and stuff. He knows that every single family isn't a disaster. He knows that people have things. He knows that people have desires, and somehow those desires are getting met. But see, in his life, as he's looking at his life, he says, you know what? My desires will never be met. They're never going to be realized. So he begins very early in life to bring in all the destructive elements characteristic of someone who is determined that they will never, ever have what they can dream about. That there is nothing better down the road. 
It's like uh, two men who were captured. They throw it down in the deep, dark dungeon. And, you know, they say, this is your penalty. You've done this in 10 years. You're, you're going to be in this deep, dark dungeon. Um, and, but just before they go into the deep, dark dungeon, one of the men discovers that his wife and child were dead. And the other man hears, just found out before he's thrown into the dungeon, that his wife and child were alive. And they're waiting for him. Well, you know what happened. After just a couple of years, the first man begins to waste away. He curls up, and he dies. The other man endures. He resists. He stays strong, and he walks out a free man after 10 years. Same circumstances, same people, same situation, and yet their personal experience of today are completely different. Based on what? Based on what? Based on what they see coming down the road. Based on what they believe their futures hold. That's why the misinformation that we have received as a kid that's stuck in our brains, the wrong teaching going around the greater culture today about heaven, which is really a conglomeration of a number of faith backgrounds and science fiction writers, can be hurtful. Very hurtful. Especially since we have so much information about heaven. See, your now is controlled by your then. Your present is controlled by what you believe about your future. It has always been like that. Always. When we get some truth from the subject, which I hope is what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks, when we hear some things that are accurate about our future, I think, this is what I'm hoping, it's going to kind of put a little spring in your step. That we're going to get a little excited together, right? A little excited together. We're going to have a little sense of anticipation as to what is coming. Have a little comfort. Have a, have, a, have a little fearlessness about meeting the challenges that we face today. Now listen, for those of you who don't believe, my hope is that through this series, you're going to come to understand uh, all that God has prepared. All that God has prepared for you. He's been waiting for you. He's got a whole treasure chest of good things that he wants for you. I hope you're going to see that in, in this series. And, 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 and for those of us who are already believers, my prayer is that this, this, what I hope is a true picture of heaven, is going to make our hearts beat, you know, just a tiny bit faster. That our present life will have a little bit more meaning. And that you're going to gain courage to face down the trials and the challenges of life, knowing that heaven is real. And it all starts, coincidentally, with resurrection. That's why we're starting this Sunday. The resurrection has incredible implications, incredible implications for us and how we live our lives in the here and the now. In fact, I think I can say that if you miss the resurrection, you miss this whole part of the story, your life here on earth will be very, very different from those who get it, from those who really get it. Well, what do we want to say? Well, I think the resurrection has implications, number one, and in how I even look at the present the present world. It's in my present view, how I, how I even, my whole world view changes, you know, if I, if, you know, we think about the resurrection. Paul writes in verse 3, he said, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater number remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. 
Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Now listen, um, look, I get it. It's Easter. Some of you got dragged here by a family member because they said they're going to feed you ham this afternoon and you're looking forward to a ham lunch and, you know, that's really the only reason you're here. I get it. I understand that. We're glad you're here. Get your mug anyway. It doesn't matter why you ham. Um, And you knew that at some point, look, it's Easter, they're going to bring up resurrection and stuff like that. We get it. Well, here it is, okay? Um, You know, if you're here like that, I think... I'm right in assuming that when the people 2,000 years ago talked about resurrection, you kind of get it. I mean, you kind of say, all right, you know, we we understand. They're from, you know, a non-scientific, superstitious culture. I mean, they were bleeding people to cure them. I mean, the guy's dying, you know, from loss of blood, and they're bleeding him because he's got poison in his blood. These are the same people who, if they they felt, if they kept walking east, keep walking, 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 they were going to fall off the ends of the earth, right? Some of those people were still around. Not all of them, but some of them, you know, truly believed that. Um, You know, they they weren't stupid. They were ignorant. You don't know what you don't know, right? So you can't blame them. You know, if they were here, if they were now, if they grew up here, they'd probably be as smart as anybody else, but they didn't have anything back then. You know what? They, they were open to all sorts of weird claims and the miraculous and the supernatural, things like resurrection. See, that's their worldview, you think. But this is 2015. Our worldview is different. If you're here and you think that, you need to know that they didn't believe in resurrection any more than you do. Not once and tell them more than you do. Now look, back then there were two basic worldviews. Two worldviews amongst the people who lived in the time of Jesus. Let's go back 2,000 years for just a second. Now, the the first worldview, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, the Greeks came first and they did all the culture and they built all the big buildings and, you know, the Romans just came in, they stole everything. They stole the Greek culture, stole the Greek language, they stole everything. And uh, and then added a couple things. You know, their gods, they give their gods different names, big deal. You know what? I I could name the gods. And, and, but, you know, basically they were the same people, the Greeks and the Romans. And, And the Greeks and the Romans their worldview said the body is weak, the body is bad, and we all get that. We all have aches and pains. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, I think my body's evil sometimes. I just, you know. And so they really believed that. They believed the material world basically was evil. And the spirit was good. Body bad, spirit good. So, you know, if you're talking about, you know, this, somebody dying and their spirit being separated from their body, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. See, death was a liberator of the spirit. They were, you know, they were chained to their body. The whole idea of a bodily resurrection as being a good thing, as being something desirable, was ridiculous. It was freaky to them. That's one worldview. Second worldview. They were the Jews. The Jews believed that at the end of time, God was going to renew, at the consummation of the ages, God was going to renew all things. Remember, um, just came to my mind. Remember Mary and Martha and, and uh, 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 what's his brother's name? Lazarus. And remember, Lazarus dies, and yeah, thank you. Um, uh, and Lazarus dies, and then Jesus is hanging out, he's staying at Bethany, he's waiting, waiting, waiting. Then he shows up, and, and you know, Martha comes out and starts yelling and reaming him out, and you, you know, basically, you know, as nice as you could be to somebody who could destroy you, you know, uh, as much yelling as you could. So, uh, you know, you should have been here, you should have been here. Then Mary comes, and she's broken up, and he says, you, Lazarus is going to live again. And she says, I know he will. At the end of the age, I know he will rise at the end of the age. See, she was part of that, that strain of Judaism. It wasn't, it wasn't everybody who really believed that at the end of the age, at the consummation of the ages, they were going to rise again. The body was going to rise again, and the spirit and the body would be joined together then. It wasn't everybody, 
but it was some of them. But nobody, listen, nobody believed that there was resurrection in between in the intermediate time. Maybe then, probably never, but not now. Definitely not now. See, those... That's what we're dealing with. So, you know, you could say, well, the reason those early Christians must have believed is because it fit their worldview. No, it didn't. Their worldview said there is no way that there was a resurrection of the body, at least not now. But they ended up, listen, (laughs) these guys ended up going from disbelief to rabid confidence and faith in resurrection overnight. They literally had an instantaneous worldview change. Now, look, this normally doesn't happen. I had a friend years ago. Uh, I have a friend. But years ago, I would describe him not as liberal, but as leftist. I mean, this guy could have been a Sandinista. I mean, he just was left of of left, left. And I think he used to bring things up to me that would just tick me off. I think he just, he just wanted to get me. And, uh, but, but, but I loved him. We stuck it out, and we were friends, and lost track for a couple of years there. Um, and, but when we, when we caught up with each other again, all of a sudden, this guy was a staunch conservative. He was way, you know, he was way over there. Now he's, now he's you know, or for your way, the other direction, right? And all of a sudden, he had changed. He had gone 180 degrees in, in, in another direction, and I found out why that happened. It happened little things, little decisions, little things happened. He watched the news. He saw this. He started living, you know, in the real world. Sorry. And, uh, you know, things happened. And he started to change his views of things. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's like lecturing me. And I'm going, what in the world? But the point is this, folks. I got to tell you something. It didn't happen overnight. See, worldview changes. Going from here to there, it doesn't happen in a 24-hour period. But it did with them. It did with them. One day, bodily resurrection was a joke. They were making jokes about it. And then they're telling everybody that a man had been bodily resurrected would show that he was a son of God, and you need to to make that the central tenet of your belief system on this earth. What happened? Here's what happened. Paul said that people saw him, and they believed. They saw him, and they believed. People had individual encounters with the resurrected Jesus. Individuals sat and they talked with him. And they, you know, they said, you know, they had fish with him. They're eating. He still likes fish. He likes burled fish. He always, you know, and then all of a sudden there's more people. And there's more people. And now there's a small gathering. They're having dinner together. And then he appears in a room. And he's in a room. And the disciples come up. And they're touching his hands. They're actually putting their hands where the nail prints were. And into his side. He said to Thomas, he said, Thomas, you know, believe And this happened to not only individuals and not only groups, but the scripture says that we just read that it happened one time, and I think it's from Matthew chapter 28 where you can read about this at the very end of chapter 28, 500 people, 500 people at one time saw Jesus, and you know what? He, in effect, told them, go and talk to people about what has happened and they did. And Paul said, you know what? This was 20 years ago. I know some of, you, some of them are dead. But, you know, a lot of them are alive. Talk to this one. Talk to this one. Talk to this one. Here's their addresses. Here's their email accounts. Go talk to them. Go, go, you know, check out. Talk to a lot of them because a lot of them are still around. And so they started to talk, these people. And, 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 and you know what? They went up to their friend. They hadn't seen him in, you know, two years. And he says, hey, how you doing? Good, good, good. We have to sit down. Okay. Well, listen, uh, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and I know this goes against everything we've ever talked about. But something's happened that I need to share with you. And they started telling about Jesus, the risen Jesus. 
And many of those people were convinced because they say, you're not a weirdo. You're not a freak. I know that. You know, you, you, you're convinced of this? I know it. And they, they were convinced. And then other people were convinced. And then Christianity started to grow. Well, there's, there's a simple explanation for that, a lot of people would say. A lot of people would say, well, you know, it's growing. and that's we, we know what the explanation is. They're lying. They just all lied. And you know what? That happens, doesn't it? I mean, we get lied to every day. Every day you get lied to. You turn on the television, you lie to 50 times before the next commercial. I mean, there's lie after lie after lie. This is truth. You need this. You know, you know whatever. And, and uh, so lying is, is not, you know, foreign to our culture. It's not foreign to us. Stretching the truth, making things sound bigger. So maybe they all just lie. They all got together. They put their heads together. They had a big huddle. And they said, you know, we're going to lie about this. We're going to start a new religion. We're going to do this whole thing. I, okay. Maybe. Except for one thing. <laughs> Except for one thing. A lot of those same people, the same people who were telling them, okay, i got to talk to you about this. You're not going to believe what happened. Those same people ended up going to their deaths saying the exact same thing and never backing up one inch. People who now they said to them, and this happened numerous times, we will saw you in half with a saw that we cut trees down if you don't say that, you know what, this resurrected Jesus is a lot of baloney, and they would not back up. And many of them went to their death, and they died happily, professing that they had really seen him. 11 out of the 12 of disciples met terrible deaths. See, look, if I'm going to lie to you, and I want to start something, I want to start a business, I want this, I need money, I need capital, whatever, for whatever reason I'm lying. When a guy comes with a gun and puts it to my head and says, you know, you, 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 you better tell the truth at this point. Folks, I got to tell you something. That's, that's the equalizer. All right, you know what? We're just kidding. I, we, we, we're bad people. We wanted to start this business. We wanted to do this. We're trying to cheat you. Death is the great, you know, divider. But these guys all went to their death. All of them. Saying that they had seen him. And you know what the most surprising thing about the resurrection for them was? Aside from, a, a, you know, a dead man rising, you know, which is was interesting for them and kind of shocking for every one of them. You know what the most surprising thing about the resurrection for them was? The fact that the resurrection proved that God had begun to do something that they had heard about, but they didn't get. He had begun to make all things new. So he said he was going to do it. He said he was going to do it, but now here it was. And it had started in their lifetime. N.T. Wright wrote this. He said, they discovered that resurrection was not just something that happened to Jesus. They discovered the resurrection meant that God's new creation had begun. The new world had already started, not with a great bang and suddenly everything was being transformed overnight, but with this one prototypical event, which was going to generate and drive a whole new world. Do you know if you go up to a Jewish person today, go up to a Jewish person and say, you know, Jesus, Jesus was the Messiah. They'll look at you and they'll, you know, bright smile like my friend, you know, my friend does. And uh, they'll say, uh, no, he wasn't. And you look at them and you say, Yo, yeah, he was. No, he wasn't. Well, why? Why do you say he wasn't? And they look at you and they say something like this. Do you ever read the newspaper? Did you see what happened in Kenya this week? Do you understand that there is death and disease and racism and injustice that's how I know he wasn't the Messiah. That's what they'll say. That was their thinking, too, until the resurrection. But with the resurrection, they got a vision of the then 
and a change there now. Now, you might say, well, why didn't they all just join hands and if they, you know, came to know Jesus and jump off a cliff together to go to this great place in their future and next life is going to be so great, you know? And I would say, uh, uh, you know, why wait now? I'd say, well, you know, maybe that would make perfect sense. But then the resurrection changed all that. And all of a sudden, Jesus' words in statements like in the Lord's Prayer, remember the Lord's Prayer? We all learned it growing up. All of a sudden, it made sense. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, what? Your on as it is in as as it is in heaven bring about your will on this earth as it is in heaven well how's he going to do that that's how see the resurrection changed everything and all of a sudden this new thing that god was doing made sense and living sacrificial lives all of a sudden made perfect sense if you wanted to see a group of people look If you wanted to see a group of people whose now was obviously controlled by the then, you know, because of the resurrection, we're going to live, blah, blah. If you want to see a group of people whose now was obviously controlled by their then, you don't go any further than the early Christian church. You don't go any further. These are people whose lives were different, whose now lives, we ain't jumping off no cliff, whose now lives were different because they saw the resurrection and they knew that God had started to do a new thing and God was starting to do a whole renewal and it wasn't a big bang, the Messiah comes and everything's perfect and the lamb's laying down with the lion and all that stuff and he was going to do it gradually and he's going to do it a step at a time and he's going to do it through me. You want to see uh, about the Christian church? You don't want to know why the Christian church grew when they got this understanding in their heart? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, um, why Christianity spread so rapidly and permeated literally every strata of the ancient culture was first their amazing compassion. They were an amazingly compassionate people. When major epidemics struck ancient Roman cities, you know what everybody else did? You know, for the exit door, the window, jumping out windows to get out of the cities. You know what the Christians did? They moved into the cities. I was reading this week about the uh, 14th century uh, Black Plague pandemic. 14th century Europe, and I want to tell you something. I, I don't know, part of me says, I don't know how we ever recovered from that. Anywhere from a third to half the people in Europe died. Same thing happened. Same thing. This is, uh, you know, you can go on Wikipedia and, and, and find this out. Same thing. The, the Christians moved in and started caring for the sick. They started caring for the dying. And you know what? God didn't put some big bubble around them. You know what? You're not going to get sick. If you do what I want you to do, you're not going to get... These people got sick from the people they were caring for, and they died by the tens of thousands. They died. And people looked back, and they said, why are they doing that? See, their compassion. Also, the way they died. The first 250 years of Christianity under tyrants like Nero and Domitian and Decius and Diocletian. And you know what? They were being killed. They were being thrown to the lions. They were being lit up as torches. They were being killed in terrible, terrible ways. Uh, localized you know, things that were going on. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't start banding together and, 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 and all of a sudden you know, result in domestic terrorism. Didn't say, we're going to fight back now, and you know what, we're going, to, we're going to put guys here and there, we're going to train our army, we're going to do everything, and we're going, to, you know, we're going to fight back. They did not violently retaliate for the injustices that ended their very lives, but instead they prayed for those who were killing them. And people looked and they said, again, what's the deal with these people? And then there was something else. Um, there was a way that they, 
they treated outsiders. You know, as Rome extended uh, rule, Rome extended, you know, they kept knocking off these other countries. And as that happens, the borders start to kind of come down in these, board, uh, these countries. And you can, it, travel was easier. Rome built roads, all, literally all roads led to Rome. And they built these extensive highways. So people traveled like never before in history, like never before. And the cities, the Roman cities for the first time truly became multi-ethnic. And all of a sudden in those cities that were, you know, they were densely populated. People were living, you know, literally living up against each other like they do in cities to get today. And all of a sudden you had these people who didn't look the same, didn't talk the same, didn't have the same cultural distinctives, didn't have the same traditions. And all of a sudden tensions rose. I, I mentioned in the first service, I was reading this thing this week about this European country who said, well, we don't have as much crime as in America. And then you look at this country, they all speak the same language, they all look exactly the same, they're all about the same age, it seems like. You know, it's like, gee, I wonder why, man. Maybe we could uh, put two and two together here. Somebody could write another article here. Anyway, uh, all the tensions that come when you're with people who are totally unlike you, who don't really even like a lot of times the things that you do, you know, who think your cooking is smelly, disgusting. And then you get, your family comes in and says, wow, what's, you know, what's on for tonight? And it's the greatest thing in the world. See, all those people were coming together, and people were coming into the church, and one was white, and one was brown, and one, we don't even know what you are, but we don't care. We don't even care. We don't care about your ethnic background, whatever. There's no hierarchy with us. And people noticed. Okay, because they were the only ones getting along. Why were Christians compassionate to the sick at the expense of their own health, even to the point of death. Why did they go to their deaths praying for their persecutors? Why did, were they inclusive and readily gave away personal power and prestige to people from the outside that didn't even look like them? Because they were just such nice people, right? That's it? No, that's not why. They did it because they lived their life in light that God had begun to do a new thing through them and in light of what was to come. They lived their life with a view of what their future was going to be. Their now was controlled by their then. Their present was controlled by what they believed about their future. They had a huge hope in a grand future and in the fact that God was using them to begin his ultimate renewal through them. They stayed in the cities because they knew what the future world held. So they weren't terrified of death. They didn't retaliate because they knew that in the end God said, you know, I'm the ultimate judge, so you don't have to be the judge. They weren't worried about their future. They knew what was coming. So the question is, how could they be sure of their future? How could they be sure of their future? How could they know that God had begun the renewal of all things? And the answer is given in Paul, by Paul again, and stuff we just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul gives the reason why they were hope-filled people, and so many and others weren't. It all had to do with what? It all had to do with the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus gave them a clear indication of their own future and their mandate here on earth. The resurrection had clear implications on how they viewed their present lives here on earth. So you know what? You miss, you miss the resurrection deal. Uh, it has clear implications for your life here on earth and your view, your view of the world right now. The resurrection also has implications, though, in how we see death and how we see death. 
He said in verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he said? He said that there's coming a day when suffering is going to be swallowed up. Now, this illustration kind of fell flat in the first service because we're too far from lunch. But you getting hungry? Anybody getting hungry? All right. Good. This will, this will be, it'll be better now this time. Imagine I put in front of you, imagine I put in front of you a beautiful salad. Now, some of you go, ah, no, I don't eat salad. Well, those of you who do, imagine. See, my wife tells me it's good for me, so she kind of spoon feeds me a lot of times salad. And, uh, uh, and, and there's lettuce, and it's fresh. And imagine in front of you this bowl of lettuce that is fresh and is moist, and there's different kinds of meats on it, and cheese, and, and bacon bits, and then you, you blow it. I mean, once you put the bacon bits and the croutons and everything else, but still, it's so delicious looking. It's just, it's, it's amazing. And then you got balsamic or oil and vinegar or French or Russian or blue cheese on top. Um, right? Man, that looks good, especially when you're hungry. And imagine if I said to you, hey, um, uh, I'm checking out for about 10 minutes. Uh, make this disappear. Okay, make this disappear. That's your instructions. Well, there's a couple of things you could do. Number one, you could pick it up, open a window, and throw it out the window. You, that would make it disappear. You could throw it in the garbage. That would make it disappear. Or you could do the preferred method, and you could eat it because there's a knife and fork sitting right there. Now, if you throw it out the window... You gain nothing, but if you eat it, you gain a lot as far as energy and stamina and health and all those kind of good things, right? Now, notice what it says about what the victory of the re- resurrection does to death. It does, not, it does not say that it removes death. It doesn't say that. The resurrection does not even remove suffering. In fact, it says that the, the resurrection swallows suffering. It swallows it. Making the life you have now, which is challenge-plagued, it will be even better when we get to the next life. When you lose something and then you get it back, you find it. It's so sweet. I remember years ago when I was a kid, we lost our dog. Dog ran away. And, and we were looking all night. And it was at night. We're looking all night. We got flashlights all, all over. And all night, I, don't, I think I slept maybe 20 minutes the whole night. And then the next morning, uh, you know, we got up and we got in the car and we started going all through the neighborhoods and all over. And all of a sudden, you know, you could see with the, the headlights of the car, it was early morning, and there was Taffy under the car. Not, 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 not dead under the car, but was, was <laughs> sitting under a car that was parked on the side, on the side of the road. And, and we got out and, and, you know, she came at us and ran towards us and I... That dog, and I love that dog. I gotta tell you something. I love that dog more after the stupid dog broke the chain and ran away overnight than I did before because I had lost something. And I said to myself, Oh my goodness. And then when we got it back, you lose something for a couple of weeks and you get it back, it's even more important to you than when you had it. You know, it's greater. All of a sudden, you realize the lost. It's like a father who sees his son go off to the far country. And he waits and he waits and he waits. And then the son all of a sudden one day comes back and he takes his son and he just embraces him. The son embraces the father. And there's great joy. There's great 
when we get to heaven, you'll have a consolation because of the sorrow that you experienced on this earth. You will. And it will be even better because of the difficulty and the sorrow that you experienced on this earth. You know what you notice about Jesus' resurrection body? What do you notice about it? What do you have in his hands? He had big holes in his hands, right? Big holes in his hands and in his side. See, his wounds were still there. His sorrows were still part of his body, but now they were his glory. I don't know what this means other than the resurrection doesn't just say, well, we're going to take you to heaven now, and there's a, there's a consolation. This is the consolation prize for earth. The life and suffering that you had on this earth will be part of the glory, part of the overwhelming joy. And in the resurrection, all our suffering is swallowed up. And we will have life as it was always meant to be and as we always wanted. As we always wanted. I was reading, Tim Keller wrote about this verse, this one verse, and he said this. He said, you get the body you wanted. Great. You get the family you wanted. You get the love you wanted. You get everything you ever wanted. If that's the case, then it means even the worst things you've ever experienced in the end will only make your joy greater. Suffering is swallowed up. It is defeated, and its defeat will make your eventual glory even more joyous, even more wonderful. Suffering is swallowed up, but here's something else. Let me finish with this. The sting of death is swallowed up. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The word sting speaks about uh, a giant scorpion, which the sting doesn't kill you. If you get uh, stung by a scorpion, that doesn't kill you. You know what kills you? What? The poison. The poison is what kills you. The sting doesn't kill you, but the poison does. I have a friend, again, I have very, you know, interesting friends, who believes in annihilation. I mean, basically, you know what? Uh, uh, he believes when he's going to die, uh, that's it. It's the end. It does nothing else. And he, you know what? He really doesn't fear death. He really doesn't. I said, well, you must fear death. No, I really don't. Um, uh, because he tells me, well, I, I don't fear death, so then I'm going to live, and then I'm going to die one day, and then I'm not going to know anything, so what's, what's there really to fear? Which kind of, kind, of, kind of makes sense. But then I look over at the table at him. We're, we're at, you know, we're at the, the diner, and I say, uh, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure there's nothing when you close your eyes? And people go, well, no, I'm not sure. I can't be sure. Because if they were sure, then they were God. They would know everything. They can't go there. They've never been there. So how could they possibly know? They're not sure. You know, the thing that people fear most is, is not that maybe after death there's annihilation. The thing they fear most is after death, maybe there's life. See, that's what they fear. Can you be sure, after you close your eyes in death, that there will be no judgment? No recounting of your life? Or do you ever say, I haven't lived the life I should have. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready. If you have a sense of judgment, if you can't be sure, see, that's the sting. That's the poison. That's it. 
And that's why you're afraid. But then the gospel comes along and the gospel says, okay, there's judgment. We, yeah, there is. There, can't hide that. There is judgment. Here's the good news. Jesus took the judgment. He already took the judgment. Jesus said to Nicodemus who came and wanted some information from this new rabbi. He said, you know what? The son of man did not come to judge the world, but to what? To save the world from judgment. I'm not here to bring judgment. I'm here to bear judgment. So how do you know Jesus paid the penalty that in your hearts you know you owe? You know how? The resurrection. Do you know what the resurrection is? Do you know what the resurrection is? It's a receipt. It's God's way of stamping paid in full across history. It's like when you go to Costco and you got this, you know, you go in for three things and now you just spent $450. And you're walking out with this basket that's like this and the guy looks at you and he grabs your receipt. I don't even think they're checking. I think it's a, whole, it's a, it's a ruse. I think the whole thing. And he goes, uh, he's like this and he's probably thinking about what do I got to do when I get home? I got to do this. I got I to get the oil changed. And he, does, and he does that, right? And he gives it back to you. But the reason I bring it to him is because I don't want him to say, did you pay for this? Because if he does, I'm going to go, yeah, it's paid in full. Here it is. I did pay for it. See, what, what, what the resurrection is, the resurrection is God's cosmic receipt. It's his receipt. You look at it, and as a result, you have this, you know, you get this amazing imagery that, you know what? Everything has been paid for. Paid in full, stamped on it. Do you realize what a paradox that is? It's Paul's way of saying, death can't really kill you. Death no longer has poison for the believer. Death will bite you but it will never kill you. It'll never kill you. And God promises you heaven, and it's for real, and it's a place where, you know what? People who have trusted God go, for this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I got an email, a text message from somebody yesterday, just uh, saying, you know, thinking about you tomorrow, and blah, blah, the whole thing, and uh, wrote Romans 8. And I said, you know what? I'm going to put that in my message. Right at the end, I said, Romans 8. Romans 8, 11 says this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He will give us life. If the spirit of God lives in us, God says, you got life. And you'll live forever in a place that we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. But he only dwells in those who have received him. Or how do you receive him? Well, you need to acknowledge your sinfulness. You need to acknowledge the fact that you are much worse than you think you are. And that your sin separates you from a holy God. And then you need to recognize that, you know what? Jesus Christ, what he did, Good Friday. See, that's, that's the penalty paid. And that's when God said, paid in full. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is is finished. He didn't mean his life was finished. He didn't mean my suffering's at an end. He said his job was done. The reason why he came was to pay for your sins and to pay for my sins. And it was finished. When you came in here this morning, you received a piece of paper. Would you grab that thing and just slip it out of that yarn and open it up? When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive His seal of belonging. And you know what? 
You know what that seal says? You know what the promises say in that seal? It says, he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people, and he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And when you receive him, he will send the Holy Spirit into your life who will guide you and remind you that you are a son. And if you have him, when you die, when you come to that moment of death and you get that, 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 that beast thing, you will be welcomed home and the sting of death will amount to nothing but a minor scratch and the life you wanted will be what you will have and what you will inherit and your approach will have been removed forever and forever and forever and it never ends and you will have the life you always dreamed about because of the blood of Christ, because they put him in a tomb and because three days later he rose again. If you haven't, you can receive him today. And I want you to bow your heads, you know, right now as we close. And you may be here and, you know, maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're the guy, you're the woman who I... I uh, I spoke about before, you know, about the resurrection thing. And, you know, we're modern people. I mean, come on. And all of a sudden, you know, God is, as God does, as only God can do. He's, he's you know, he has sent the risen Lord. And he's, he's, he's right in front of you today. And he's staring you down. And he's saying, I have been chasing you your entire life. And today's the first day you, you realize that. It's the first day you believe it. And all of a sudden, Good Friday means something to you. That the, the holy, sinless, second person of the Trinity, Son of God, lived the life that you should have lived and died the death you should have died. And he rose again, and he did it for you, and he didn't do it for any other reason. And he would have did it if you were the only one who needed to be saved. And that's what kept him on the cross. And you realize that today. And you know what? You're ready to come, and you need to say, Lord, I, you know, I don't, I don't read the Bible. I don't know it. I don't, I don't, I don't get the whole thing, but you know what? There's, there's something moving. You know, you know mom and, and dad and, and my friend, and, you know, they've been, you know, gently or not so gently pushing me for a long time. Today's the day, and today's the day I want to make, I, I want to decide to trust Christ. I want that paid in full on my record. Paid in full. I want to have that receipt to be able to hand in when I stand before the living God. You could do that today by saying a prayer as simple as God in heaven. Forgive me for my sins, my transgressions. Receive me into your fellowship. Today I... I believe Jesus Christ died for my sin. I trust him as my Savior. And I come as humbly and simply as I can. I don't know a lot. But this much I do know, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And I'm one of them. You know something? You pray a prayer like that. The Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice. They rejoice because God sees it all. And I wonder, I wonder as our heads are bowed, 
I wonder if there's anybody. And I just want to pray for you now. And our heads are bowed. If there's anybody here in this auditorium that just prayed a prayer like that, would you raise your hand really quickly for me? I want to pray for you right now. If there's anybody who said, you know what, today's the first day that I understand this. Put your hand right straight up so I can see it and pray for you. You know what, I think God is dealing with people right now. I really do believe that. I see one. Thank you. you can put that down. I see it. Is there someone else? You know what, just something holding you back. You know what, you want to make a decision today. You want to step forward. Is there another? I'm going to pray for this, you know, maybe this whole service. <laughs> a million years from now, we got one person that's going to say, you know what? Easter Sunday, 2015, that's why I'm here. Is there someone else I want to pray for you right now? Father in heaven, we thank you for new life. We thank you, O oh God, that you still save sinners. We thank you, O oh God, that through the resurrection, our life is different. Our future is secure. Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to lead us, continue to show us the implications of the resurrection in our lives. Today, every day. And for those of us, Lord God, who today were just reminded, we're just reminded, I pray, Lord God, that this message as we go out would not be lost. But the, the message of resurrection and life eternal would resonate and that you would bless this series as we talk about heaven and your heaven. And it's your idea, it's not our idea that uh, we would be not only better informed, but better prepared to live life on this earth. We pray for that, oh God. Thank you, Lord God, for what you do and for your goodness to us. And thank you that you put a seal of belonging on us. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.